Alright everybody, welcome to episode number three of the Boulder Bassoon Quartet podcast. What should episode three be called? Revenge of the... <laughs> Revenge, Revenge of, of the Reed? <laughs> My name is Brian. I'm Kent. I'm Michael. I'm Ethan. With our powers combined, we are the, the Boulder, Boulder Bassoon Quartet. Quartet. Oh, dear. I don't know if I can do this for too many <laughs> continued episodes. I feel pretty sheepish every time. Well, you know, here we are. Today, sitting on the table with our microphones and stuff, we have a pile of 22 autographed CDs, uh, all of which say Boulder Bassoon Quartet from the opposite shore. And it's quite a sight to see. So many thanks to all of you who have helped us out on Kickstarter. Our Kickstarter project just wrapped up a couple of days ago. Um, and we successfully reached our goal and went a little bit beyond that. A little bit beyond, that was awesome. And we are um, compiling all the rewards and getting them ready to be sent out. And it's really, uh, it's really cool and kind of inspiring, really, to see all the, the support that we got and to, for the four of us to get together and to autograph CDs <laughs> is yet another instance of... Things I never thought I would actually do yes. <laughs> as a bassoonist or otherwise. So today we're going to talk about uh, the two other composers on our CD. In episode two of our podcast, we talked a lot about Paul Hansen. And today we're going to talk about Thomas Kent Hurd. Oh, yeah. Oh. Hello, everybody. Hi, <laughs> Mom. Uh, so Thomas Kent Hurd. How did you like start getting into composition? Hmm. People don't ask me that usually. Um, it's usually I don't know. I've always had an interest in music theory. So it just became like homework. Somebody gave you a homework assignment to write a chorale or something, and you're like, "Yeah, I can do that." And you just kept going. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. took a counterpoint class, and I thought that was pretty neat. Uh, yeah. So I just picked up an interest. Throughout college, that I classic think. romantic tale of the composer yes. and his inspiration. <laughs> oh, I had some homework. <laughs> Sorry, it's not uh, cooler. Well, I think you're in good company because uh, what the uh, Carol of the Bells that was homework, and that's really? that's one of the most famous pieces of music. Do 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 do. Peace. Whoever wrote that, I read the or heard the story that it was assigned like a counterpoint assignment and he's like okay and so he made Christmas Carol so maybe that should be your next assignment Kent soon quartet Christmas Carol okay I'll get to work <laughs> good and four voice counterpoint it's cool to me that you you got some inspiration from a counterpoint class there's a lot of cool counterpoint going on in all three movements of the suite I think it's part of what makes it really exciting to play I enjoy listening to counterpoint a lot. Like anytime you hear a piece with a lot of different parts and you kind of hear that machine going on in the background, I really like that. I try to put a little bit of that in, in my own pieces. That's kind of fun. I'm well, sure J.S. Bach is really pleased to be referred to as a machine. A machine? <laughs> oh, it's a, it's a cool machine. Sex machine. <laughs> <laughs> what was the first piece that you wrote that was performed for people? That was actually performed for people. It was a bassoon trio that I wrote in my 
senior year of, no, it was my junior year of college at uh, Arizona State, and that would have been 1996. It was called Excursions. Why did you write it? Uh, it, it seemed like a good idea at the time. <laughs> it, it was kind of, it was one of those things where I, I think it was kind of when I was taking some of that theory stuff. I think that was the same year I did some counterpoint uh, assignments, and I think that piece was written the same year. Did anybody ask you to write it? No. no. <laughs> but, uh, that, I bet you that's the case for most bassoon pieces. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody's actually asking anybody to write these. <laughs> Nevertheless, there they are. Do you have a recording of that that we could listen to? I do, yeah. Uh, this was, so this is me uh, and a friend of mine, Martin Gordon, who has gone on to be uh, bassoonist in the Richmond Symphony. And I think the other bassoonist is Rachel Whipple, and I don't know, don't know where she's in it. Rachel, where are you? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so this is actually a world premiere recording. Ooh, ah, and I think the only recording and performance that exists of this piece. <laughs> into the early life, the early writings of the esteemed Thomas Kent Hurd. <laughs> it definitely has the same sort of characteristics of that so sweet. It's very busy. There's a lot of stuff going on. It sounds hard. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Oops. <laughs> you can definitely hear like the, the fugue kind of influence. It's, it's, all, it's stronger in that piece even. I mean, you can hear the distinct... You know, this is the initial, and then next part we have some kind of counterpoint to that. It it's I don't I don't know what to say about the about the comparison. I mean, that's so sweet is a lot more intricate intricate for sure. Rhythmically, rhythmically, syncopation, yeah. I mean, rhythm. It's the the trio was before I started to be influenced by. Jazz and blues style. And Paul Hansen. Exactly, yeah. So that was written in 1996? That was 96, yep. And So Cliché was written in 2000. And what nine? was that? 2009 or 10. Wow. So between 1996 and 2009, how much other stuff did you write? You know, I didn't write a ton, especially as it got performed. Um, I wrote a couple piano pieces. I do occasionally sit and play at the piano. Um, piano duet 
ended up being written. Uh, but you know, I didn't write a whole lot. Um, there was a, a time a few years after college uh, between that and when I moved out to Boulder that I actually didn't do a lot of music in general. Um, and it was when I began to really miss the music scene that we moved back out to Boulder and I got reinvolved and bought myself a fancy new bassoon. <coughs> Bye. Moosemon. I got yeah. myself a Moosemon 222 AP. See, cool. the, the, based on what I know from like talk shows and stuff, if you mention a brand name, they have to give you something for free. So <laughs> <laughs> if you mention Moosemon, we all get a free Moosemon. I'm looking for a new bassoon here. So yeah. How about a uh, three, three nice Moosemons and a Moosemon Contra? I think that'll do it. Because now we've said Moosemon like seven times. So. <laughs> I don't think that's too much to ask. I think yep. we're good to go. Yep. Good. Speaking of which, now a word from our sponsors. <laughs> okay, this episode is brought to you by Forest's Music. Uh, they've got everything from uh, reeds to reed machines to music to just about anything else you could think of uh, that you would need to play the bassoon or the oboe for that matter. What about music recordings, Ethan? <laughs> well, I'm glad you asked, Brian. They also have a number of bassoon recordings, including our newest album from The Opposite Shore. Yay! <laughs> so head on over to forestmusic.com. So, so cliche was your first piece for bassoon quartet? Uh, the first piece that actually got past the sight reading phase. I wrote a few little bits when I was still at ASU. Uh, so we sat down and read a few of them. A few of them. <laughs> like I did a few of them. A couple. We, we sat down and read, I think, both little <laughs> quartets that I tried. And it was, it, they were fine. Um, but yeah, So Cliche is the first one I wrote that's actually gotten traction and anybody actually wanted to play past the initial sight reading. So thanks, guys. <laughs> Do you guys remember how the initial sight reading went? It was tough. It was real tough. <laughs> Just like fumbling through all this stuff. Yeah. But I think you had put together a recording of yourself playing all yeah. four tracks so we could use that to figure out what it was supposed to sound like. Yeah. Well, that's also a chance for me to try it and see how realistic or tough it's going to be. And when I was trying to lay that down... I started to get my first inkling of, yeah, this is going to be kind of tricky. But, uh, so, wait, you, so you played through all of it, uh -huh. all four parts, <laughs> thinking, oh, is this realistic? And then you decided, yes, it is. <laughs> if I, yeah, <laughs> I thought it was uh, doable. I didn't let's, think it was going to be easy. Let's take a listen to just some of the solos involved in So Cliche. The realistic solos. <laughs> <laughs> All four of us have solos at some point, and uh, we can actually isolate these solos on the recording. So here's a, here's a recording of Ethan playing his solo, which is one of the funkiest and most impressive fun things to listen to, and I can only imagine how difficult it is to play. That solo, by the way, is also available as a ringtone. <laughs> Ethan, what's it like to play that thing? Yeah, that, that was tough. Um, 
I mean, I remember thinking when I was practicing it, I've, I've never played something that was actually interesting and fun, but as difficult to put together as, you know, most of the orchestral excerpts I've been practicing too. <laughs> <laughs> so that was a unique experience. The idea of each solo is, of course, each solo builds Gets progressively more difficult. Mm -hmm. yeah. And then when you get to Ethan's, it kind of switches gears and gives him a chance to wail on the bass line a little bit. And was... Yeah, so the thing... The thing I remember, I don't even think it was the first sight reading session, but uh, one of the earliest rehearsals when we were fumbling through some of the rhythmic stuff, um, your wife was in just the other room and she would start saying, hey, hey, you know this part that goes and then she'd sing some bit of it on solfege or something and she'd be like, yeah, you guys need to get your rhythms together there. <laughs> and she'd be exactly correct. We definitely needed to get our rhythms together. It's like, Bassoon Quartet sight reading rehearsal coached by Kaori Uno Jack. Living with her makes you practice differently. I'm sure. Because <laughs> you can't be lackadaisical. Because she'll be in the other room watching TV or whatever. And she'll be like, No, it's wrong. You're doing it wrong. You got the tune. Tune it. <laughs> we love you, Kaori. <laughs> so, why is this piece called So Cliche? Oh, no. I was afraid you were going to ask that. I told uh, you I was going to ask that. <laughs> I know. Nevertheless. <laughs> I don't know. When I first wrote it, this was my first attempt at writing anything that even sounded bluesy or jazzy. Um, and so I felt it needed a uh, some sort of clever, silly name. So that fit in, in that way. And it also protected me in case someone listened to it and said, well, this is just a, a silly copy of some dumb jazz piece. Then I could say, well, I know. That's why I called it that. <laughs> so it, it, fit, it fit a couple purposes, so that's where it got the name. Which, which dumb jazz piece is it a copy of? Oh, I don't know. It, it's I, not I, specifically, I just, of course. No, no, it's not, it's not a copy of any jazz piece. It's just like, oh, it just sounds like a cliche of some jazz piece I've heard. So I'm like, yeah, okay, cool. So well, cliche. Yeah. It's a hip cliche. So when you write something like that, do you start with this little theme, da-da-da-da, and then you just kind of build off of it? Or were you just goofing around and you played something that you liked and you wrote it down and you built something off of that or what? It's kind of different every time. Uh, sometimes I have a melody rattling around in my head that I, I write down and then I start messing with it. And other times it's just a couple of cool chords I'll hit on the piano uh, and so cliche started from a couple of those uh, just those kind of interesting jazzy chords that I hit on the piano and started writing those down and then I built so cliche around that wow. it's like, oh, listen, listen to what that sounds like if I do that on bassoon I think I'll keep doing that Wow, so those those few chords really spun out a whole lot of music. Yeah. <laughs> well, and so-so started as a melody. I had that initial chorale melody in my head at the beginning, and then I built it off of that.
So how do you take that and turn it into... I mean, the rest of the movement is quite different. It is different, but you can hear that melody throughout, uh-huh. right? Even, mm-hmm. even though the rest of the piece is swung, uh, mm-hmm. you still hear the, the melody of that original chorale woven in throughout the piece. Hmm. That, that actually sat for a long time. I wrote out the chorale at the beginning, and then that sat for months um, while I wrote so much for that. I actually wrote so much for that second and then so so was the last movement right. that was written, so there was a lot of time for it to gestate a little bit. So how far did you get um, composing it on the piano before you had to start kind of moving all of this stuff to to bassoon language? So far, all of my composition is done from start to finish at the piano. Wow! And, and it's written out. I'll chicken scratch it out on uh, some paper, and then when the whole thing is done, I'll go through it and. Uh, revise it wherever I see on paper, and then when I think the whole thing is done, I'll uh, I'll hook up my computer and, and put it into finale. Hmm. But that's kind of like the last step, and it's also a nice final kind of proofreading for me at least to see what it's really like. But yeah, I'll I'll sit and do the whole thing on the piano. Wow. So do you purposely have to limit yourself to four voices? Like, don't you ever just want to like make a five note chord and stuff? Or do you do that and then you have to pare it down? Okay. I do do that occasionally where you, where you hear this really cool thick chord and then you're like, okay, how am I going to make that work in a quartet? And sometimes yeah. I'll have to choose the most, what I hear are the most representative notes to make that chord sound like that. Right. And sometimes you can't, you just can't do that. Mm-hmm. So what I'll do is I'll, I'll try to trick the listener and I'll stack the chords, or stack the notes, and then I'll very quietly have one person quit playing that original one, and then play the... And then you can hear that at the very end of the chorale and so-so. So for all of you who have heard us play, you've been duped. (laughs) (laughs) Fooled you! At any point, did you start writing with us specifically in mind? Like, oh, I think this would be a good thing for Ethan to play. I think this would be good for Mike to play. Well, I'm not sure if I heard of, if I had specific players in my ear, but, you know, the second move, the second and third were written for this group, obviously. Uh, so I definitely had us as a group in mind. Now, Mike, you played so-so with other bassoonists. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I got to go and give like a, I don't know, how would you call it? it would all, you could almost call it a guest recital uh, at my undergraduate alma mater, Tennessee Tech. And for the last piece on the program, um, I took So-So, the second movement, and um, my teacher, Mr. Lotes, had two uh, very, very good undergraduate students. Um, God, I wish I could remember their names. If you guys are out there listening, remind me what your names are. Uh, but they had, they had listened. I think they found the, the recording on YouTube or something. And so they knew the rubato. Uh, they knew where to speed things up and where to, to slow things down. And we rehearsed that thing for about 45 minutes the day before the concert. And then they, they played it. And they did, they did a really beautiful beautiful job and I got to find out how difficult Kent's part is because I switched over to play the first bassoon line I got to hear that recording you guys did a good job it sounded nice it was alright I don't know there's a riff on like sentimentality or something but uh, it actually was a really cool thing to be able to take a piece that 
I had experience with in a group that is important to me and that I really like being a part of and then take it to a different context, take it, you know, back home, so to speak, and sort of share it with some someone in my first teacher that meant a lot to me. So you put all three of the pieces together and it creates a suite, cleverly called That's So Sweet. <laughs> Does everybody get it? <laughs> I get it. <laughs> And That's So Sweet is available for purchase through Trevco Music. What's the website address? Oh, I think it's trevcomusicpublishing.com. Trevcomusicpublishing.com. That's where you can find That's So Sweet, written by Boulder Bassoon Quartet member Thomas Kent Hurd. Also included on the CD is another newer work by Thomas Kent Hurd called Bluish, which is a... Short and extremely gorgeous uh, piece for bassoon quartet. And we'll be talking more about that in an upcoming episode of the Boulder Bassoon Quartet Podcast. All of the music that you're hearing today, except for the very early stuff, is available on our brand new CD, From the Opposite Shore, which is available starting October 15th. You can pre-order your copy now on our website, boulderbassoons.com. It'll be available on the 15th on iTunes and uh, all of the different uh, online retailers as well. So, so we're going we're gonna to do a special contest today. The first person to send us a tweet with the special uh, magic word gets a free track. One free track <clears throat> off of our CD. You get to pick. We've got 14 tracks to choose from and you get to pick which one you like we'll send the digital track to you um, you can tweet to us at boulder bassoon 4 on twitter and the magic word is counterpoint counterpoint's uh, good music nerds we were talking about counterpoint music nerds rejoice um, <laughs> sure let's do counterpoint counterpoint it is so the first person to tweet the word counterpoint to us gets to download a track off of our album for free. Uh, to wrap up this episode and to play it out is a piece of music written, of course, by Kent. What would you like for us to close this episode with? What's your favorite? You know, I like all three movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're all my children. <laughs> yes, but I actually am happiest with things I tried with uh, so much for that. I like that movement. I was about to say. I, I tried. I tried different things in that movement, and I thought they worked out kind of nice. So yeah, let's go with that. Thank you.
Oh my goodness. Sorry. 